0: Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Isger, joined by Chris Steierwalt, and we are talking to Governor Chris Christie. That's right. He's the former governor of New Jersey, the former U.S. attorney, former 2016 candidate, and current ABC political commentator who occasionally... Actually, I never get to sit next to him, tell you the truth. I'm always across the table from him. Never.
1: They don't let Republicans sit next to each other, Sarah. They don't (laughs) let Republicans sit next to each other on ABC. Let's tell the truth. Come on.
0: Let's dive in. Governor, you are one of those rare Republicans who has... Uh, criticized the party, praised the party, defended President Trump, criticized President Trump. Uh, Going into the midterms, what are the Republican Party's strengths and weaknesses?
1: Well, listen, I I think we've got a couple of strengths. The the first strength is I really like the candidates that we're recruiting um, for the midterms. Um, That job's still incomplete. We've got some recruiting for the Senate that we have to do in places like New Hampshire and Arizona, where hopefully we get the best candidates we can to take on Maggie Hassan and uh, and take on uh, Senator Kelly. But um, I think our candidate recruitment has been very strong. Um, and then secondly, unfortunately for us, the next biggest advantage we have is what the Democrats are doing. Um, you know, their continued um, shoveling of money out of Washington, D.C., the inflation now at up over 5%, um, you can begin to see um what the impact of these biden and Harris policies are going to be, I think that's an advantage advantage for us. Our weakness is that a majority of the party is still looking backwards instead of looking forwards. And in my experience in politics, um, you know winning campaigns are the campaigns that look forward and that talk about the future. Losing campaigns are the ones who dwell on the past and grievances and anger uh, of the past. um and and I think that's our biggest weakness at the moment. Um, and hopefully we'll get on to a more you know positive um and by positive I mean critical agenda about what the democrats are doing and what our alternative is
0: you look back to uh let's say october 2020 and people were predicting a total wipeout a death of the republican party that's not quite what happened and let's set aside then november to you know march or something but you look forward to 2022 and People are saying it's almost sure that the Republican Party will take back the House and, you know, a coin flips chance of taking back the Senate. Why isn't the Republican Party dead like everyone thought? And does that undermine your looking backward theory?
1: It doesn't undermine the looking backward theory. um, But what it says is that when we talk about our issues, because remember, in October 2020, we weren't looking backwards. Um, you know, especially at the congressional level, the gubernatorial level, um, and below that on the ticket, people were talking about Republican policies that people uh, generally support. I still believe it's a right of center country. But the problem was at the top of the ticket, we weren't doing that. Um, and that's why we lost on the top of the ticket. The, the, the presidential loss, unfortunately, was one that many of us who were working for the president saw coming. Um, we tried to counsel him against it. Uh, we tried to tell him to ease off on the grievance polis- politics and the and the the anger um, that he had. You know, it's one thing when you're a politician to be channeling the anger of others. It's another to be channeling your anger to others. Um, and, and that's what he did. So when you look at the party, that's why I still have optimism about how we can do, because we did add 12 seats in the House. Uh, we played it to a draw in the Senate. And we could talk about why we even didn't keep the Senate. The only governorship that flipped in 2020 flipped from Democrat to Republican in Montana, uh, which has a Republican governor now for the first time in 20 years. And we flipped two state legislative chambers in New Hampshire. So it was good news, down ticket. It was up ticket that that was the problem. And unfortunately, we have a lot of Republicans who are still focusing on that issue rather than talking about what the people in the country are concerned about. Because I don't think anywhere near a majority of the people in the country are still worried about the 2020
2: election. If I'm, if I'm hearing you right, the Democrats have uh, what you describe as their major liability, uh, which is inflation is on and there are concerns about, we may be, we may be heading for a cliff here. Uh, and the people are concerned about deficits and spending. Uh, the other things that Republicans would probably have in their advantageous issue set uh, are concerns about excessive wokeism, Uh, a lot of parents have about schools and those things, uh, and uh, crime and questions about policing. Uh, If that's the positive or if that's the good news for Republicans, would you agree then that the bad news for Republicans uh, includes uh, vaccine resistance or people who are on the Republican side who are and we have like uh, Senator Ron Johnson in Wisconsin and others who are part of a chorus that are anti-vaccine. That seems to be problematic for suburban voters. Uh, and the other one is looking backwards. The the January 6th stuff, the fight, don't Republicans necessarily have to get through it to get past it? Is it? Has there been some uh, in willful ignorance on the question about January 6th?
1: Well, look, I think the Republicans do have to get through it to get past it, Chris. I think that's a good way to put it. And the only way to get through it is to talk about it, be honest about it, lay the facts out. Um, and not to have history as we wish it would have been, but to talk about exactly what happened, um, not only on January 6th, but uh, uh, in November and in the special election in Georgia. Um, and and let's stop saying that the election was stolen because it wasn't. Um, let's stop saying um, that, you know, uh, it, it made no sense to vote in Georgia in, in January because of what happened in um, in November. We saw what happened. That's how two Democrats won <laughs> seats in Georgia. And, and let's stop saying that, you know, the people who were, you know, shoving chairs and wood planks through the windows of the Capitol were there to take a tour. Um, you know, they weren't. And, and so, you know, we need to say these things. We need to debunk this stuff the same way we need to debunk the QAnon movement, the same way we need to debunk, um, we needed to debunk birtherism a long time ago, um, and we need to we need to debunk, um, you know, Pizzagate and all of the things that have consumed a lot of people um, in the Republican Party um, unnecessarily and distracted us. I do think you're right, though, on the other issues. I think, to me, the most important issue for Republicans to talk about um, in order to be successful is the education issue. And, and by the public education, I, I mean three different aspects. One, um, the unnecessary closures of our schools and the impact that's having on kids and will continue to have on kids. And do we go to a, a year-round school year um, for the next year or two to help those kids catch up? I think that should be a conversation Republicans should be having. Don't, Second, d-
2: as long as kids can't vote, that's an okay conversation, as long as kids aren't voting.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly right, Chris keep those kids out of the ballot box, okay? We need, to actually, we need to actually be the adults in the room. Second, <laughs> you know, this the critical race theory issue, which to me is not just on that, but it's the bigger issue of how do we teach our children about our history um, is a huge issue for parents. Um, and the overall control the teachers unions are now taking on the public education discussion because they've got the greatest allies they've ever had in the White House and Joe Biden and, Teachers Union member Jill Biden. Those are things we should be talking about. Look, we lost this election in 2020 at the presidential level because of suburban white voters. And those suburban white voters abandoned Donald Trump in large numbers. And to get those people back to voting for us, I think one of the big issues that they're upset about and concerned about and that the Democratic Party is out of touch on is the public education issue.
0: What does it mean? uh, You're mentioning the demographics of the Republican Party, the suburban sort of flight from the party, the education divide now within the two parties, college versus not college educated. If we're seeing uh, if Donald Trump has started a shift with both parties, frankly, of who their core voters are, uh, what is how will that affect the issues of the parties? You know, everyone's saying like, well, the Republican Party can't go back to the 2012, you know, Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan party. Um, I agree. So what, what is the Republican Party? What defines the Republican Party over the next few years?
1: Listen, I, Sarah, I'd say that the, we can have our cake and eat it too on this one. Suburban white voters didn't abandon us because of issues. They abandoned us because they didn't want Donald Trump any longer. It was a personal rejection. You can't come to any other conclusion when we add 12 seats in the House, when we add a governorship, when we add two legislative chambers. You can't say this is a problem with the issues as articulated by the Republican Party. Those suburban voters, I'll give you an example. I had a woman who came up to me the day before the election in my supermarket in my suburban Republican town and asked me what was going to happen in the election. And I said, look, I think it's going to be close, but I think Biden is probably going to win. And she like looked down at her shoes. This is a woman who had volunteered for both of my governor campaigns. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I voted for Joe Biden. And I said, why did you vote for Joe Biden? And she said, because I can't listen to that voice for another four years. <laughs> right, so th- this is, and I do believe that that's not just anecdotal. And, and When you look at, to me, the kind of bellwether of suburban voters are the four collar counties outside Philadelphia. You know, when you look at those four counties, Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden by 104,400 more votes in 2020 than he lost to Hillary Clinton in 2016. And what did he lose Pennsylvania by? 80,000 votes. So, he didn't lose uh Pennsylvania in Philadelphia as the myth goes. In fact, he did better in Philadelphia in 2020 than he did in 2016. He lost because of those suburban voters. So Sarah, I don't think there has to be an either or a choice here. I think we can talk about the issues that Donald Trump has raised, the populist issues, but it doesn't preclude us from also being able to articulate those issues in a way that will be appealing um, to white suburban voters.
0: What about fiscal responsibility, limited government? Are those things... I mean, no one's talking about those things.
1: No, they're not, and and they need to come back into vogue pretty quickly, um, or we're going to be, you know, we're going to be selling our houses to the Chinese. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's something where the Republicans failed during Trump's years. Trump never thought it was an important issue. In fact, you know, to give him credit, he made it clear during the presidential race that I was involved in. They didn't care about that stuff. I um, wasn't going to talk about it, and he governed that way. That's where, in the first term, you needed a Republican House and a Republican Senate to impose some discipline on that. Uh, And Paul Ryan failed in that regard. And Mitch McConnell failed in that regard. So, look, it hurts our credibility in terms of complaining too much about the spending that's going on among Democrats now if they were doing just the normal irresponsible spending. Fortunately for us, the Democrats are doing what Democrats often do, which is like, Hey, we know we could get away with something. Let's try to get away with everything. Um, And so, you know, we have 1.9 trillion in January, another 1.2 trillion on a proposed deal on infrastructure, and now another 3.5 trillion on top of that, just to continue to shovel money into people's pockets. Um, It's not. It's not going to work for them, and it's going to give us an entree back into saying, "All right, maybe we weren't great, but we're not as bad as these guys." And that's got to be the argument in the beginning. And then when we get back to governing, we've got to show people that we're willing to make tough choices.
2: Now, uh, in 2009, your election in New Jersey was a harbinger. uh, And I got to write approximately one million columns talking about the connective tissue between you and Bob McDonnell in Virginia uh, and the coming Republican wave. uh, And it materialized. Uh, we have a New Jersey governor's race. So just to clear out all the suckers, we'll get down to just the real politics nerds. Uh, handicap for us, how things are going in the New Jersey governor's race. I'm going to mispronounce his name, but it's uh, Cattrilli is the Republican nominee. Listen to Starwalt. I okay. know. A New Jersey <laughs> Italian going to have to give this one to you, Starwalt. Jack right. Chitterelli. Chitterelli, Chitterelli, Okay. Jack Chitterelli. Jack- is doing the same thing that you were, is trying to do the same thing that you did in 2009, which is to unseat a Democratic incumbent. How's the race going? Should we be looking for bellwether status here? Should we be reading more into the race?
1: It's a a hard race um, because of of COVID. Um, You know, New Jersey uh, lost more people per capita than any state in the country uh there was a real crisis here as there was all over the country but particularly here um and it kind of just made people check out of politics chris and and you know phil murphy has a lot of weaknesses uh the incumbent governor and you know jack right now if you had a hand to handicap the race right now you'd say that murphy will be reelected based upon all the polling numbers i've seen and what i feel sitting here in the state but there were two indications in the last public poll i saw that both of you, as veterans of looking at this stuff, will know this means there's at least some concern for Phil Murphy. The first one is his reelect number is below 50. It's reelect number numbers below 50 at 47, um, with a guy who's who who's favorability unfavorability rating in the poll in Chitarelli was 16 14. Right. Okay. So <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. you're, right. And he, you're underwater. He's and not underwater. Guy, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Then the second piece in the poll is when you break out independence, which is always important in New Jersey, there are more independents than either Republicans or Democrats in New Jersey. The guy who only has 30% name ID in Jack Chitterelli is beating Phil Murphy by five points amongst independents right now. So think about that for a second. 70% of the people of New Jersey in that poll don't have any opinion on Jack Chitterelli, yet the independents subsumed within that poll by five points say we don't know him, but we like him better than Murphy. <laughs> right? Though those are those are two would be two concerning points to me if I were Phil Murphy. The question for Jack Ciarelli is what always is the question um, for Republicans in New Jersey who are running statewide. One, can you raise the money to be competitive in the two in in the first and fourth most expensive media markets in America, so that you'll be heard, and second. You have to have a sharp, economic-based message. People vote for Republicans in New Jersey when they think that Democrats have screwed up the economics of the state and the state budget. Phil Murphy's clearly done that, and that's where Jack has to make the case. It, just to give you one example of that, my last budget uh, on my year I was leaving office was thirty-four point seven billion dollars. In four years, not counting federal money, now this is purely state money. the The budget has gone to forty-six point seven. It's a lot of money, a twelve billion dollar increase in four years. So a cliff is coming, and Jack's got to make that case. So, you know, COVID makes it entirely different, Chris. If there was not COVID, I think Phil Murphy would be in huge trouble. But he's still enjoying a bit of a hangover from COVID in the electorate, where they go, "Well, you know, he did the best he could. It was really hard," and and I don't think they're holding him accountable for some of the stuff that in Normal circumstances, he would be so right now. I'd say uphill race for Chitterelli, but not an impossible race.
2: Do uh, do, am I right to say that my paizon, uh, Mr. Chitterelli, uh, and uh, Glenn Youngkin? Who the Republicans nominated in Virginia, whether they end up winning their races or not, are reflective of a Republican primary electorate that seems to want electable candidates, right? This is the, the, if if I'm a Republican, I'm looking at the results of these two primaries and saying normal humans who seem to be able to participate in the normal election space uh, and not some of the catastrophes that they might have seen or might see in 2022. Is that fair?
1: Um, I think it is, although in New Jersey, I will tell you, and I think the same thing existed in Virginia. You had multiple candidates trying to be Donald Trump. And, and so, for instance, Cittarelli did not get a majority of the vote in the primary. But the two Trump candidates split a majority of the vote, and Chitterelli won with 49%.
2: And so Youngkin had a similar of, experience
1: in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I don't think we're quite out of the woods yet on that issue. Um, but here's what I think these candidates are going to learn. Only Donald Trump can be Donald Trump. You know, I, I... I I've known him for 20 years. We've been friends for 20 years. He can do things and get away with things that nobody in my lifetime in politics has been able to get away with, starting with calling John McCain not a war hero, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, and I remember sitting in my home at that moment. I'd been in Iowa the day before, and I got a call from another candidate in the race who shall remain unnamed, but his initials are Jeb Bush. And- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Jeb said to me did you hear this comment he's going to be out right he's got to get out now right that was everybody's concept the, how it applies to today's politics is that other candidates both people currently in office um and ones aspiring to office think somehow they can do the same act as Donald Trump let me warn them you can't and i think we're seeing that over and over again you will not be successful on a statewide scale you might be able to win a heavily gerrymandered you know, congressional district. But any Republican or Democrat would win that heavily gerrymandered district. Um, But statewide races and national races are not gonna be one trying to act like Donald Trump because there's only one Donald Trump and he's the only one who can pull off that act.
0: thousand dollars or ten million they can help you whether it's business or personal taxes even if you have the means to pay or you are on a fixed income they can help financially resolve your tax burdens once and for all call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash dispatch uh let's talk about presidential politics let's talk about 2024 a little so (laughs) looking back to 2016 Uh, Obviously, I was working for Carly Fiorina. You were in the race. We saw each other quite a bit. I mean, me as, uh, you know, sitting uh, along the wall and then the candidates in the center, like kindergartners that we were like, don't pull Marco's hair. That's not nice.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: But, you know, week after week, rules about how you run a presidential campaign on the Republican side were just tossed out the window, lit on fire. Uh, What... Are the things that we don't know yet about 2024, the new rules for an open Republican presidential primary that people haven't grasped onto yet?
1: We don't know if Donald Trump's going to run or not. I think that's the single biggest determining factor about what the rules will be. Um, It's not that the party will go back to what it was before Donald Trump. It will not. But the rules will look a little more like they used to. And those who try to break those rules will not get the same deference that Donald Trump got. So, you pick any fill in the blank with any candidate who's kind of a a Trump, pure Trump acolyte. If that person tries to go in there and and give the Rosie O'Donnell answer, you know, in the first <laughs> debate, <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, it's uh, not going to work. are giving me they're flashbacks. Gonna be, they're going to be giving that speech that says. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry for having offended the blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And we're suspending my campaign and giving myself a time to re-examine uh, myself personally. And then I'll make a decision later. You know, it's going to be one of those, right? So, so I think the biggest determining factor on the rules will be, does Donald Trump run or does he not run? Um, and that will determine the, the rules and it will determine, obviously, the size of the field. Um, I do not believe Donald Trump will run unopposed for the Republican nomination for president. Um, But um, we're talking about the difference probably between a three or four person field versus a 15 to 20 person field uh, on whether he runs or he doesn't run. And that will change the rules. And, you know, Sarah, from being involved in that race, everybody's you know, I will tell you, everyone said to me, look at the way you went after Marco Rubio. You know, so effectively, why didn't you do the same thing to Donald Trump? And I said, well, look at, you know, Rick Perry, look at Rand Paul, look at Carly Fiorina, look at the people who went after Donald Trump and their roadkill. So you can't do it in the space of a big field where he's got all these polling numbers and everyone else is dividing everything else up. But if it's a smaller field, Um, I think you can be much more effective in that kind of politics. And unfortunately, every one of us, Carly, was playing the same game. Let me just get by the first two primaries. Let me be (laughs) in the finals against Donald Trump, and then I'll beat him. You know, and and who was left? Ted Cruz and John Kasich. Ted Cruz, who very few people like, and John Kasich, who even fewer governors like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, people would say to me like why when I would say John Kasich's just not a nice guy and people would say to me well no what makes you say that I so said I'll give you one proof point when the race for president came down to Donald Trump Ted Cruz and John Kasich how many Republican governors endorsed their colleague John Kasich and the answer is zero and that tells you something
0: it's this thing that I tried to tell people. It's like, no one believes me. Like, he is not a nice person.
1: <laughs> no, he's not. And listen, Larry, H- take Larry Hogan, for instance. You know, Larry Hogan endorsed me for president. But when I dropped out of the race, you can't find somebody who's a bigger never Trumper in a, in, a, in a gubernatorial seat than Larry Hogan, right? Larry Hogan did not endorse John Kasich. Why? <laughs> You got to ask yourself why, right? (laughs) And and so I I think that you know for for the Republican Party going forward, all of us will all of the way the rules will be played in the presidential race in twenty four will be determined by what the field is, and once the field is formed, then we'll find out what the new rules are, Sarah. But they won't be the twenty sixteen rules. I'm confident of that, unless Donald Trump's in the race, and then. Everyone else who runs is gonna have to decide how do you conduct yourself in the context of a defeated president, defeated president who, you know, led the party to losing the House, the Senate, and the White House in two years. The last president who did that for the Republicans, who was it, Sarah? Come on. I like
0: this pop quiz. Wait, who I mean, was it in two years?
1: It was not. It was not, it was Herbert Hoover.
2: Oh, it yes. was Herbert oh, Hoover. Yeah. Wow.
1: And then the Democrats took the White House for 28 of the next 36 years and 48 of the next 52 years they had the House. So that's what Republicans need to be thinking about contextually when they're looking at whether they want to run a forward looking race in 24 or whether they want to try to settle the grievance politics of 2020. We could wind up in, in in the same shape that Hoover left the Republican Party in in thirty and
2: thirty two, uh, you you ran in a contest that was arranged by a Republican Party that was thinking in the old fashion. So in twenty sixteen, the thought was we want to protect a front runner, right? So you have winner take all primaries. Uh, front-loaded primary calendar because the old Republican thinking was you're going to have uh, uh, that guy whose initials are Jeb Bush or somebody who's going to be out front, and you want to validate his lead, seal it in, sort of the experience George W. Bush had in 2000. Uh, get if you can make it to South Carolina, uh, then and and roll on from there. As the Republican Party nationally and locally thinks about. The actual rules, not just the, the the conditions that you guys are talking about, but the rules about primaries uh, and the rules about debates, what should they be thinking about to try to create optimal outcomes for
1: 2024? Look, I think the Republican Party has always generally been a winner take all party. Um, the question is going to be on front loading, as you put it, Chris. you know, are we really going to be charging to the front of the line and trying to front load things, or do we want to give this a little time to steep? and simmer, you know, uh, in order to be able to decide who the candidate is. Um, But that's going to be decided by the RNC, and the RNC is still pretty firmly in the control of Donald Trump, or at least people who have been put there by Donald Trump. So, um, you know, if he wants to play a role in determining those rules, I suspect he will. Now, uh, on debates, um, the person now put in charge of debates is Dave Bossie. Um, an old uh friend of mine, but also a a you know someone who worked for the president. Um and so Dave's gonna make those determinations. I think Dave from talking to him is much more focused on on how the debates are going to be conducted, like who hosts them, who are the questioners going to be, kind of, you know, the idea of excluding the liberal networks from, you know, hosting uh Republican conservative presidential debates. I think that's where Dave is focused. But the other thing's got to be Who gets on the stage and how? Because I could tell you, um, I was pissed when Sarah's candidate got in the second debate, um, (laughs) even though, you know, now all of a sudden we had 11. Great. Uh, Why? Why? Because, you know, she complained enough. Um, And the networks, (laughs) and and we had a liberal network, CNN, hosting the second debate, um, and they wanted to be inclusive and put Carly on the stage, even though, her poll numbers didn't support her being there, and everybody else had to reach poll numbers. So we've got to get some consistent rules. And secondly, it was a waste of money for people like me. I will tell you, we watched those polls, and we were doing the math. Are we going to be in the top 10, or aren't we? And where are we going to be? And do we spend some money on Fox National to raise our poll numbers a little bit so that we make sure we're in the debate? This is stupid. It was a waste of hard dollars um, by by my campaign and every other campaign that spent hard money that way. And every one of them, except for Trump, did um, spend money that way because everybody at one point in time was in danger of falling out of the debate stage. And, you know, so I think the polling numbers thing I don't think is a way to determine it. I think the Democrats actually did a better job with their um, crazy field in 2016 uh, because Everybody got in. There were two nights of debates. It was random so that, you know, there were some quote unquote front runners in each one of the debates. And I think it, you know, in a, in a unwieldy field it gave everybody a chance. So I think the Democrats did a better job at that than we did. And we shouldn't be like sitting here to I mean, like literally I got knocked out of the only debate where I wasn't on the main stage. I got knocked out because of a morning consult internet poll. I don't know. Um, doesn't seem to me. You know, that that, wasn't, that are, wasn't
2: us at Fox, was it? We didn't do that. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, yes, it uh, was. Chris. No. Yes, it was. Yes.
1: And I called the late, the late Mr. Ailes and said to him, you're a professional. What are you doing? Like seriously, Roger, would you do anything based on a morning consult, internet poll, anything? And he's like, "No, I wouldn't." I go, Whoa, what, "What are you guys doing?" And you know, so I had to do one round on the on the on the kitty table stage. Um, and then I was back in the, the after our, my performance there. I was back. You wrote, days, like Lazarus,
2: like Lazarus. You came back. You showed you are. I don't know about power. that,
1: Chris. I don't know about <laughs> Lazarus, Chris. That might be that might be overstating <laughs> the case a bit. But um, so I think on the rules of the debates, we need to need to get to a way where everybody who's a credible candidate in the race needs to have an opportunity to show themselves in these debates, um, and we should do it in a way where uh, you know people are not wasting money. Um, on ads um, to try to make sure that there are three or four percent, so they get in the debate.
0: All right, now I'm going to start my seven-part series on why Carly absolutely <laughs> belonged on the CNN uh, debate stage, go. according to the rules uh, as they uh, were uh, written. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but you know what? I'll actually I'll take it as a compliment that uh, I was so persuasive that I got her on the stage against the rules. Really? I mean, either I, way, it's a win.
1: Otherwise, <laughs> it's a win for you. It's a win for you, Sarah. No doubt.
0: <laughs> um, I want to do some. Lightning round uh, with you on policy, what the solution is. Uh, first question crime.
1: Look, there is a way to do police reform smartly and to be able to increase public safety um, and increase the sense of justice that people have on the streets. We did it in Camden, New Jersey. We fired the entire police department, we hired a brand new police department, and we trained them in de escalation theories. Um, And we put them on bikes and on foot, so they became part of the neighborhood. And what's happened in Camden? 75% reduction in the murder rate, 66% reduction in the overall crime rate over the last 10 years. And when the George Floyd murder occurred, the white police chief was marching with the black and brown citizens of Camden against that type of police violence. No violence in the city of Camden. There's a way to do it and do it smartly. We need to do reform not to the police, but with the police and include the community. Big tech. Big tech, section 230 has got to go. Um, they, their view was we're not going to be editors. We're just a bulletin board where people are posting on there. Well, guess what? They become editors. And if you want to become editors and deciding who's going to be on and who's going to be off, well, then you need to be subject to our courts. Just like everybody else in this business That we're doing right now, whether it's podcasts or TV or radio or newspapers or or other uh, you know folks who provide news on the internet, are subject to the laws of our courts. Two thirty's got to go.
2: What do you replace
1: it with? You know, look, I I I think that they should be they should be treated the same way that newspapers, um, TV stations are are treated. Chris, I don't think there's any difference anymore between them. In fact, you could argue that they're now the dominant media. Two thirty was put in place because we didn't want to crush a burgeoning new technology with legal costs and, and uh, threats of lawsuits. Please, Facebook's a trillion-dollar company. I don't think they're worried anymore about paying a few lawyers if they get sued, and they should be held accountable for what they're doing.
0: Uh, inflation.
1: Bad and going to get worse. And the way the only way to do this, of course, is, is to start spending less, stop overheating the economy, And you're going to have to tighten interest rates.
2: In terms of your quality of life, how you like life, uh, do you ever feel wistful about politics? Do you say, I need to be back in, I want this? I can tell how attached and attentive you are, and I get to listen to you comment on it on television. Will Will there be another Lazarus? Are we going to see you again one day? Oh, yeah. You never say never. Um, I mean, look, I've enjoyed the last three years, but I think
1: anybody who really cares about this stuff, it never gets out of your blood. And I think anybody who says it does is just not telling you the truth. If you really believe that you can make a difference and that you have ideas that matter and and that you have a voice that needs to be heard, Chris, it's always in you. But for me, the question is going to be about any further run for public office is going to be, is there a path to winning? I don't need to do it for the experience. I've had the experience. <laughs> I've been a two-term governor. I've run for president. Uh, I've chaired a presidential transition. Like I, I don't, I don't need the experience. Um, so if I see a place where I think I can make a difference and a pathway to winning, then sure, I'm 58 years old. I'm not ready to retire. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not going to, you know, go on some. You know, Harold Stassen like mission.
2: <laughs> now, if we didn't clear him out with uh, prognostication on the New Jersey governor's race, a Harold Stassen reference gets us down to the really right. core audience. Really this core is audience. Definitely
1: the core audience. Sarah is just going, who's Harold Stassen?
0: I literally have no idea.
2: Yeah,
1: there you go. Well, there we'll get go. up later, Sarah. That's it. I'm not doing your homework. I'm going, clear. like, right now. Um, Ask wait, Carla follow Fiorina. up. On that. She'll know who Harold Stassen is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Follow
0: up. Uh, you've said that Donald Trump, running or not running, won't affect your decision about whether to run in 2024. But uh, what about what we already talked about, which is, yeah, Larry Hogan gets in and, uh, I don't know, feeling like someone else, like, will you run regardless of the other people running against Trump? Or d- will you? will all of you come together to say, yeah, we don't want 2016 to repeat itself, we're gonna get in a room and draw straws or Jello wrestle or something.
1: Yeah, well, the Jello wrestling is an interesting idea. Um, I hadn't thought about that. Um, uh, although that might be deeply disturbing to the American people, um, <laughs> we're not ready. Uh, yeah, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think America is just not ready. No, I, I think. <laughs> I think this idea of, of drawing straws and stuff in a in a back room just doesn't usually happen anymore. I think people have to come to their own conclusions on viability. But what I mean is when I say whether Trump runs or not is going to not determine whether I run is I don't think anybody else, any singular candidate should determine whether or not you run for president or not. That's got to be in your heart, in your mind. You guys have been involved in big campaigns. You know what it's like if you don't believe it in your heart. And if you're not willing to work like crazy, you don't belong in the race anyway. So, and I'm going to allow someone like Donald Trump or anybody else to determine whether I really feel that or not, no chance, but That has to be balanced against what I said in the answer to Chris's question, which is I got to determine if there's a pathway to winning. And if I believe there's a pathway to winning, well, then you go for it if you believe you got something to contribute. But if you don't think there's a pathway to winning for you, um, it's not like I I haven't been in New Hampshire at a town hall meeting and know what it's like to run for president. I I got that. I know it. (laughs) I'm not going back up there because, you know, I missed, you know, I, I, I missed doing that. I'd only be going up there because I wanted to be president and thought I could be.
0: All right. So unfortunately, I crashed this podcast, which otherwise could have been some wonderfully uh, punny name on Chris's conversation or something. (laughs) So here's my question to both Chris's. Um, Chris Christie, like I feel like your parents had a really good idea of what they were doing there. They didn't accidentally name you Chris Christie. But I'm curious if you had been a girl, were you gonna be Christie Christie? Like, what was the plan for Chris Christie? You know, the the other possibility, the road not taken.
1: There was not a plan. I'll give you the real brief answer. When you say that my parents couldn't have done it by accident, you're, as George W. Bush would say, you're misunderestimating my parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to be James Christopher Christie named after my deceased grandfather. Um, But my father has a brother, James Christopher Jr. His wife and my mom were pregnant at the same time. I came first. My uncle said to his brother, my dad, you can't name him James Christopher after dad. I'm naming my son after James Christopher. My parents had agreed on no other boy's name. So for three days, I was baby boy Christy in the hospital with no name. They're finally getting ready to send me home, and the nurse's like, we gotta do a birth certificate. You gotta give him a name. And my mother finally said, well, why don't we just reverse it and name him Christopher James? And they went, okay. Never thinking about the nickname until I got home from the hospital and my grandmother supposedly picked me up out of the basket and said, look at little Chris Christie. And my mother said she nearly passed out. She (laughs) said, oh no. Oh no. So that's how that, uh, by the way, the two footnotes to that is footnote one. My uncle had three girls. (gasps) So there is no James Christopher. Um, And secondly, my mother, after admitting to me that it was an error, it was a mistake. When we have our first child, who's a boy, I call my parents to tell them. And my mother said, is he going to be Chris Jr.? And I'm like, are you insane? No. You've been telling me for 30 years my name was a mistake, and now you want me to perpetuate that mistake? No, his name is Andrew. Thank you. There will be no Chris Jr. There is no Chris Jr. I have Andrew and Patrick on the boy side. Um, so that's how it became Chris Christie. It was a total mistake. It wasn't like my mother was sitting there going, he may run for office. People will remember the name, you know, no, she, they just couldn't agree on another name and completely blew it. Um, and it gave me Chris Christie, by the way, the interesting thing is my Republican predecessor as governor was Christie Whitman. And yeah. she said to me, you know, if we ever got married, we would be Chris and Christy Christie, and I'm like, that's why we're not married, Governor.
0: <laughs> wow, I feel like that was the real breaking news from this podcast. I got to tell you,
2: yeah. Like, I mean, a, Chris Christie, total, total mistake. A, a very, a very happy accident, though. That was uh, talk about a, a yeah. great political moniker, a great accident.
1: It, it was, and and my mother, years later, as as most good political mothers try to do attempted to rewrite history and started telling people, yeah, we knew he was going to be special. And that's why we did that. I'm like, come on, I got the real story and I'm going to out you. So stop it. I, I, you know, the only good thing about my mother having not been here when I ran for president was I convinced that she would have gone on Fox News, Steyrwalt would have booked her and she would have been on Fox News telling that completely false story about my name. And I would have had a press conference repudiating exactly. my
2: own mother. Yeah, uh, can,
0: that would have been a scandal.
2: Candidate repudiates mom. Uh, describes <laughs> de- describes uh, falsehoods. Yeah, I like yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's a
1: liar. I'm not. You know. I, exactly. It, it exactly. Been, it would have been very very ugly. So that's how that's how the name happened, Sarah. And there is no James Christopher because my uncle had three girls. <laughs>
0: wow! Wow! This is really this is important stuff.
1: Breaking news, babe. Break. this would be a breaking news thing on CNN. They would have to banner across it.
0: I'm glad we got to the bottom of this.
1: <laughs> there you go. Um that's really You never important. know what you're gonna get, Sarah. You never know.
0: Twenty twenty one, the year we found out that it was all a mistake. All right. It's all a mistake. Well yep. thank you, governor, for joining <laughs> us. This was a real uh a real treat. And uh you do have a book coming out in November. I do. I'm very much looking forward to, but but perhaps we'll have to have you back on closer to to discuss some of the the details. Here it is, Sarah, right here. Oh my God, he's he's holding oh. up a three ring D ring binder. Uh, it's black. It looks very official, frankly, compared to like what my writing would be, which is like some note cards, maybe some loose leaves.
1: Yeah, once you once you once you've been a governor, you never give up the three ring binder. It's just a thing.
0: Yeah, fair, fair.
1: But yeah, it comes out November sixteenth. It's called Republican Rescue. How to save our party from the conspiracy theorists, the truth deniers, and the dangerous policies of Joe Biden.
2: All right. Boom, boom. boom.